Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is the middle of April, and that means... Spring football is in the air. This past weekend, Alabama, Mississippi State, Georgia, LSU, and a bunch of other teams had their spring games. We will hear from Les Miles, Nick Saban, and Dan Mullen on what they thought about the spring for their football teams. Plus, we will talk about the NBA playoffs, the NFL draft, and we will have Will Lockamy from the Paul Feinbaum Show Join us to talk about satellite camps. That's all coming up on today's Stingray and Tuck show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we get you ready for another exciting weekend of spring football. Good afternoon, guys, and thank you for tuning in to another exciting edition of the Stingray and Tuck Show. I am your host, Stephen Ray, along with my co-host, Landon Tucker. And Landon, how are you doing today? Uh, I am awesome. Just had an awesome weekend uh, watching some college football. So it has been been great so far. It makes me ready for fall. Yes, and uh, like you said, football is in the air. And uh, there was a lot of spring games this past weekend. Were you able to catch any? Uh, a few, and, and really mainly uh, the Alabama spring game, which was, uh, I guess, if you're an Alabama fan, uh, I'm sure you were probably pretty underwhelmed. Um, but most, like a lot of spring games, it kind of uh, is, is very slow out of the gate, and maybe offenses are a little inconsistent. Um, but we do have an article up right now on stingrayandtuckshow.com uh, talking about that and some other things. So make sure you guys check that out. All right. Well, overall, what did you think about the spring game at Alabama? Um, the uh, final score was 7-3. to three. It was very lightluster, but there was a lot of good and bad things that came out of that. Yeah, I would say, you know, people look at a score of 7-3, to three, and what do you think first? You think of a defensive battle, right? Um, and, and I'm sure the defense, you know, the defense looked – Looked pretty good. Um, they have a lot of talent loaded on that roster, but honestly, the quarterbacks were very inconsistent. Um, seemed like the receivers were dropping balls. Um, the, our field goal kicker, the field goal kicker, missed uh, I think the first four kicks he attempted, um, and so all those things make you look and go, "Oh my! Well, I'm, maybe Alabama's not going to be so great." And here's what I would say to the people that think like that, Stephen: is is hold your horses. Uh, think about who your head coach is. This is exactly what Nick Saban wants: is people to to second-guess him and maybe people not to get too afraid of him uh, in preparing. The best thing he did is he did not show his hand. He did not reveal too many offensive schemes. So I think Alabama's just fine, even though they had a little bit um, of inconsistency on um, the quarterback play. That is true, and here is what Nick Saban had to say about the fans' reaction to the game this past weekend. 
Well, first of all, um, this was a really outstanding day uh, for me personally. Uh, we had a great crowd out there. I know our players certainly appreciate the support and the passion that our fans have, and uh, it's always good to see um, our fans come out and support next year's team, which is what we're trying to develop. And I think there were some good things out there today, and there are obviously some things that we could have done better. But I think when you match yourself against yourself, you know, sometimes there's mismatches that you really, you know, can't overcome. And I'm not sure we have all the best players on the best teams uh, in terms of there's a lot of competition in the offensive line. Uh, there's a lot of competition at quarterback. Um, there's competition on defense in several positions. There's several players that are missing uh, that didn't go through spring practice that would have a huge impact not only in how they play their position but the leadership that they show. So I don't think any conclusions can be drawn about anything uh, that happened today other than the fact that this is an opportunity for us as coaches and as a team to look at where we are uh, individually and collectively as a group, continue to evaluate, and use the rest of this offseason to focus on individual improvement for the players that we have uh, so that they can go out there and execute with more consistency. And Nick Saban, of course, talked about it being a very special day, and here's the reason why. This was his 10th A-Day game at the University of Alabama, and 76,000 Alabama fans packed Bryant-Denny Stadium, and uh, that's a pretty good number compared to uh, what they've had over the last few years. It has been consistent ever since Nick Saban has been there compared to a new coach coming in like uh, Mark Richt down at Miami, did you know that they only had 14,000 at wow. their spring game? Well, uh, I did not know that. Yeah, you know, when, before Nick Saban got there, I, I don't really think spring games were, were things that were very overly popular. Um, since Nick's been there, he's had upwards of 90,000 people in the stands for, yes. a, for a scrimmage. It's insane. Um, and, you know, one thing, Nick is very critical of things. He talked about the penalties there. And, and the funny news about that, you know, he talked about the penalties and how he really wanted to cut those down. They committed four penalty, five penalties the entire game. Five penalties, and he's very upset about it. And uh, here is exactly what he said about the penalties and being disappointed in the team. A little disappointing in terms of the offensive false starts and penalties and undisciplined type things that we have worked very hard on this, 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 this spring and thought that we had made some progress in those areas that uh, those types of things would not be an issue. So... Uh, that was a little disappointing. Now, another big point of emphasis this year for Alabama is trying to find a quarterback to replace Jake Coker. And uh, they have a lot of guys in rotation, and some of them did pretty well. Some of them didn't. Yeah, it, it was a so-so day. It was enough to where there was not one guy that you said, okay, he's absolutely the guy, you know, you know Jake Coker. Uh, last year, people were, were finally able to go. Okay, th th this is this guy's opportunity, and I'm sure a lot of Alabama fans want what they had. AJ McCarron is a guy who um, who was there as a freshman, and, and he played since he was a sophomore. And they want a guy that can count on through the years. But the past two years, Stephen Jake Coker, a one-year starter, Blake Sims, a two-year, a one-year starter. Both of those guys got in the Final Four playoffs. So you don't yes. have to have a guy who's going to play through the years. Yes, and another uh, interesting position moving forward will be the running back position for Alabama. I think 
Uh, I think they're going to be just fine. Um, yes. You know, in, with with both Scarborough um, and also with Damian Harris, that kind of one-two punch is going to be great. Also, don't forget a guy we might not even see. The number one rated running back, B.J. Emmons, is a five-star guy. He might not even see the field for Alabama. That's how much depth and talent they have on that team. But he'll be here in the fall. Right. And here is what Nick Saban had to say about his offense and quarterbacks coming out of spring football. There were some good plays made by some quarterbacks. And I think every one of them probably have some things that they can learn from. Uh, But I saw some good things and I saw some things that uh, we probably need to do better. We had some drops at receivers from some very good players who don't usually drop passes. We obviously need to make more explosive plays on offense, but when you limit your offense and limit your defense, uh, I'm not sure without a game plan you know how much that really happens. And, of course, we want to thank AL.com for providing the Stingray and Tug show with those audio clips from Nick Saban. Hopefully we can continue to get clips from Nick Saban and other coaches in the future from AL.com. And, you know, Landon, another team that had their spring game this past weekend was the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And what was your takeaway from the uh, Super Bulldog weekend over in Starkville? Yeah, you know, it seemed like it was good to get some of those defensive players uh, some reps, some guys that were redshirted last year, get them some experience. Um, with, with Leo Lewis, also getting Gary Green on the defensive side, some more, some more reps. Um, as far as quarterbacks go, you know, replacing, the, that, replacing Dak Prescott is going to be huge. And to, to be able to find the next Dak uh, is going to be very tough. And so, uh, you know, what, what, Dan, what Dan did was basically rotate all four of his quarterbacks I think the best, the person who looked the best out of all four quarterbacks was Damian Williams, uh, the guy who's actually the oldest out of all of them, the uh, redshirt junior. Um, I think he probably showed the neck the most promise. What about you? Uh, yes, I completely agree. And um, the maroon team beat the white team thirty-four to twenty-one. And here is what head coach Dan Mullen had to say overall about the spring game this past Saturday. Great opportunity. I think, you know, you get a lot accomplished out here that you want to get accomplished. Young players in some situations they haven't been in front before. And you know, even though you scrimmage and put them in those situations, it's different when you fill up the stadium. It's a game-like situation. You know, the clock's going, the scoreboard's going. Um, you know, and, and I saw some guys do some good things. saw some guys make some mistakes that they're going to have to go learn from. Um, you know, but it's great putting that little extra pressure on them. You know, and he's right. Um, They did some good things, did some bad things, uh, but replacing Dak Prescott is going to be key. Another big uh, position for Mississippi State will be the running back position because there's really not that many guys that really jump off the page. It's like that's going to be a really good back for Mississippi State. And we know that in the SEC you have to have a good running game in order to win these big-time games like LSU, Alabama, you have to be balanced. You cannot be one-dimensional. Yeah, and, and that was kind of Mississippi State's one of their biggest issues last year is is that all the pressure was on Dak Prescott, and there wasn't really a running back that they could count on. Now going into this year, you don't have Dak Prescott, so you better find a quarterback that is able to handle the load. Um, hopefully, uh, for if you're a Mississippi State fan, hopefully you're able to uh, put your hope in some of the guys like a uh, uh, Dontavion Lee, 
Um, also, freshman Nick Gibson, that four-star out of Pinson Valley High School in Alabama. Um, there is there's some guys on the roster at running back who can make stuff happen. Malik Deer is a guy who can really play that Percy Harvin role of a slot receiver or going back at running back. He plays both, um, and so hopefully, hopefully for it, if you're a Mississippi State fan, you are hoping that uh, they can work some out in the run game. And uh, Damian Williams, going back to the um, quarterback battle, Damian Williams went 14 of 20 for 165 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald, on the other hand, 10 of 20, 127 yards, had one touchdown, but unfortunately threw two picks uh, for the white team uh, during this thing. And here's what Dan Mullen had to say more about the quarterback position at Mississippi State. Yeah, I thought they did okay, you know. Uh, a little up and down at times, but, you know, you expect that. What I want to see is how they respond to the down, you know, of uh, – uh, and, and to me, it's about the consistency of play. I think everybody saw it today. They have the, all of them have the ability to make plays, you know, and all of them have the ability to make things happen, extend plays, run the ball, scramble, make some great throws, uh, you know. And but they they they're learning. They got to be. It's what you do on a consistent every single snap is the most important thing. To me, the biggest one is we we don't practice again now till August second. Uh, there's a lot of time in there that guy, especially at the quarterback position for someone to go separate themselves between now and August 2nd. And you know, Landon, uh, with spring ball wrapping up, you really want a front runner or somebody to come out of spring that jumps off the page that you're like, yeah, you can circle this guy and he can guaranteed be the starter in the fall. We really didn't see that this past spring, and that's concerning. Yeah, Alabama and Mississippi State are both in that same boat. You know, you look at a team – like Ole Miss. Ole Miss has a guy in Chad Kelly that they know they can count on, uh, that they know that's going to be consistent, and they also know that they've got a guy in Shea Patterson who, once Kelly leaves, he's going to step up and be the guy. That's your ideal situation if you're a coach. You want a guy you can rely on that comes back every spring until he graduates, and then you want a guy who's right there to fill his spot once he does leave. And here's what Dan Mullen had to say this past Saturday about the inconsistencies of all four quarterbacks at Mississippi State this past spring. I don't know if anybody was. You know, I saw all of them make uh, different days. Guys performed at a different level. And, and um, you know, one day you'd say, okay, boy, this guy really did a great job today. Next day he kind of, yeah, wasn't as consistent. And somebody else has a great day. So, uh, to me, I think it was all, they were all pretty even coming out of spring. And we want to thank David Murray of jeanspage.com a uh, Mississippi State site for providing us with the uh, sound bites from Mississippi State, and we hope we can continue to do a partnership with them throughout the college football season uh, this year to provide you with sights and sounds from Dan Mullen. And another team that had its spring game this past weekend was the LSU Tigers, and I'm going to tell you what, this may be the make-it-or-break-it year for Les Miles down there on the bayou uh, because he's been uh, there for, what, nine years now or eight, uh, and um, he's only come up with one national championship. Now, of course, he went back, but, of course, got beat by Alabama. So this may be the make-it-or-break-it year, and uh, could they potentially have the same issues that they had last year? What are your thoughts on the Tigers? Yeah, you know, Les Miles, and I think I think he's been there 10 years now. I think it was 2006 when he came in. And, and you know, he has done something that's very consistent to what Alabama's done, and that is he recruits at a very high level. There's a lot of guys. They have so much depth, uh, particularly on the defensive line. That has really been their key key cog. 
um, is that defensive line. Um, LSU, every single year, and honestly, I would argue even to the point of the years that they went to the national title uh, versus Alabama in 11, is they cannot find a quarterback. They cannot find someone they can consistently rely on. You know, Mettenberg was okay. They had him for a short while, and he's gone. Jarrett Lee um, and Jordan Jefferson, neither of them were very consistent. So um, they, they can never really find a guy that they can completely rely on. They are one of the only SEC teams uh, that, that it can performs at a high level that cannot find a quarterback. And speaking of quarterback, um, believe it or not, I watched the LSU spring game some of it this past weekend, and do you realize that Brandon Harris's quarterback percentage last year was 53.2? That is embarrassing numbers for a guy who is supposed to be leading an SEC team. Yeah, well, and especially a guy who's leading an SEC team that performs typically at a high level. Um, so, and, and it's not that he does not have good receivers. He has fantastic wide receivers. Malachi Dupree is a guy that if he had a, if he was a guy who went to Alabama, no telling where he'd be right now. Um, he just can't throw the ball. Just can't throw the ball. He can hand off to Leonard Fournette. He's fine there. The offensive line's pretty consistently good there. They just need a quarterback who can uh, complete good throws. And here is what Les Miles had to say about Brandon Harris during the spring and, of course, moving forward to the 2016 season. Well, how about this? How about he will go into his second summer as the guy that runs the summer workouts? So, he, I mean, he's going to make improvements. He's going to make strides really all summer long and then into what would be his second two-a-days as the starter. So, He's going to finally go into a season having rehearsed this all once before, which is really going to be comfortable for him. Yeah, and you know when you got a guy that can throw and 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 whistle it in there pretty good, and then has the, the ability to move his feet and extend plays and or run and score, um, those are you know those are pieces that you, know, you just have to have for a big time team. And we want to thank Brian Pellerin from Tiger TV down at LSU for providing us with the uh, audio from Les Miles. And uh, we apologize for the sound issue with Les Miles. We will try to get that fixed with the uh, future shows and whatnot. All right, we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to have a very special guest, Will Lockamy from the Paul Feinbaum Show join us, and we will also talk about satellite camps, what we think, if they should continue or not. That and a whole lot more coming up on the Stingray and Tuck Show right after this. Hey guys, this is Stingray, host of the Stingray and Tuck Show here to tell you about Oz Music in Tuscaloosa. They have new and used CDs, DVDs, LPs, posters, and quick special orders with a 10% discount. You can contact Oz Music at 758-1222. Once again, that's 758-1222. Oz Music, support your local record store. Oz Music is located in the Parkview Shopping Center behind Flowers Bakery in Tuscaloosa. Check them out. Welcome back inside the Stingray and Tuck Show, and now we are going to get to our very special guest 
from the Paul Feinbaum show, Will Lockamy, and we're about to call him right now. Yes, we are going to be asking Will uh, his opinion on the satellite camps, which has been a very hot topic on the Paul Feinbaum show lately. Will, how's it going, man? What is happening? Will, I I tell you what, man, we had some technical difficulties on round one, so now we're about to go round two with Will Lockme. How does that sound, man? But since I read from a script, it'll gloss. I'm the same anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, us too, man. It's just fine. Um, you know, Will. Uh, you know, lately, obviously, uh, satellite camps have been uh, probably the most debated thing uh, on on Paul Feinbaum show, and really um, on a lot of the the southern networks as of late. What is your opinion on them as a whole? Well, my opinion, uh, the main opinion, is the only reason it's being talked about as much as it is right now is because there's just nothing else to talk about. Well, uh, that and the fact that. You know, Harbaugh's running around shirtless. And really, I think that was kind of it. I mean, nobody would have really cared about this if Harbaugh hadn't made such a big deal about it. The Twitter feud, and of course, last year, running around with a shirt off and Prattville and all that. So, I mean, I think it, the bigger problem is it shows that there's no one body governing college football, really. As far as, you know, if everyone was allowed to do satellite camps, that'd be fine. But the SEC had their own set of rules. And so... You know, I'm not sure this is the best way to go about it, just banning them across the board. But at least now everyone's playing under the same set of rules. You know, it's not good for the kids, I think, because obviously it's good for kids to be able to experience other schools coming in and their parents can't afford to send them all over the country. And really, you know, if the Big Ten can do it, why not have the SEC go and do it? And sure, coaches are complaining about ah, more work and stuff like that, but I mean, they're making millions and millions of dollars. But again... Now everyone's kind of playing under the same rules, so I like it in that sense. Yeah, and Will, I think a big part of it is the fact that it is complete is dead time, and we we need something to stir uh, stir up conversation. Um, and speaking of stirring up conversation, obviously you're known um, for doing some different stuff with AL.com and also the Paul Feinbaum show. Um, and the Paul Feinbaum show is a lot of different uh, different characters uh, with different personalities. Um, what is it that you feel like uh, people of the South in particular who call into the Paul Feinbaum show, um, why are they so passionate? I just think it's all they have to do. They have nothing else going on except church, and of course they care more about football than they generally do church. So it's just their one thing. There are no professional sports for them to care about, and Paul just happens to be an outlet where they can sound really crazy and call in and he just lets them talk. There's not a lot of shows that do that, but you You'll hear some of these exact same people call other shows, and the, call, the host will shut them down pretty quickly. So Paul's show is just this uh, outlet, which is now a very national outlet. But I don't think it's just Southeastern Conference fans. I mean, you look at professional football fans, Patriots. I mean, they have some of the craziest, most idiotic fans ever that, like, you know, chain themselves to buildings when they're upset about stuff. So it's across the board. But with that said, you know, in the South, it's just highlighted. And it's something that they can really hang their hats on because – the South has been good at football for a long time. Uh, you know, so it's the one thing they can kind of say, yeah, this, this is us or whatever. And, again, Paul just happens to highlight all that. And his show has been built around that. Before he was on TV, he didn't look like he does now during the show. I mean, he was more sitting looking at his phone, and that's when you'd realize, like, oh, Paul doesn't actually say a lot on his show. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of guiding these callers to say crazy things, and they just do it freely. So, I mean, that's it started out as an AM nighttime show in Birmingham in the 80s 
And, you know, just one guy happened to call in. It was kind of crazy. He called Don from downtown. And they realized, like, oh, wait, we've got something here. It wouldn't even call the Paul Feinbaum show at that point. And then Phyllis started calling in, and the rest is history. Well, it's Stingray. How you doing tonight, man? I'm good, buddy. How are you, Steven? I'm doing good. Listen, um, I wanted to ask you real quick, um, who will meet up in the SEC championship game in Atlanta, and who will walk out as the SEC champ? Uh, as we know, each year, uh, especially from SEC media days, whatever the media says is completely wrong. So whatever I say makes no difference. And, of course, maybe people don't consider myself to be in the media, and so maybe I will be right about this. I'm going to say you're crazy if you vote against Alabama just because, I mean, look at what has happened over the last eight, nine years. No matter what, they're going to be somewhere in the conversation, so money has to go on Alabama. I'm not saying people should be betting on college sports, but if you were, put it on Alabama. And then Georgia, because of the Alabama influence at this point, now you have Kirby over there. Uh, Georgia already had all the pieces to the puzzle. They could just never get it to fully come together. And so, you know, those are the two teams I think that are going to have to be beaten. Uh, and then Alabama's going to come out on top. Now, what I said, since we're generally wrong about these things, it will be someone else, uh, perhaps Ole Miss and maybe yeah, Tennessee. Uh, also, and, and I think, and kind of to stop and pause here for a second, Will, I think you mentioned earlier the fact how you and I are, are two pretty blessed individuals, how like we both have, our most famous friend uh, sitting right here next to me is, is Stingray, uh, which is which is awesome. Um, I kind of get to get to go go back and forth with him uh, on the show, and it is, it is great. So, um, and kind of move, moving into also stuff in the SEC, it seems like, the SEC is always right there at the very top. They always hoist uh, the crown. Um, other than obviously the past two seasons before Alabama won this past year, um, they always seem to be involved somehow and have been for the past decade. Uh, when, when, in your opinion, do you feel like the SEC is going to be knocked off of their horse? You know, I think it's already kind of happened. Uh, the beginning was 2013 when Auburn came up 13 seconds short and didn't win that year. But, obviously, things were already starting to teeter just a little bit. And then, of course, the next year, not even in the championship game. So, I'm not saying it's completely done, but that was the beginning, and that's good. I'm now starting to see parity throughout the country. And what the Big Ten's doing, of course, Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh, it's a big deal. And for a really good thing. I mean, that's uh, it's good that we don't have just this one dominant conference. Because that drives everyone crazy and also... What are we going to talk about? I mean, you can only talk about that for so long. And even the Pac-12, I mean, they've got some good teams that are always right there threatening to, to make their way in. So I think it's a done deal at this point. And you look at the SEC, the SEC is great, and I still feel like the best conference, but not top to bottom. I mean, Vandy is just terrible, terrible, terrible. Kentucky, every time you think, oh, Kentucky's going to do something good this year, they don't. And then, you know, there are teams that are supposed to be really good, they just never really quite do it. So, I mean, look at the top. You know, there, there is Alabama. And then under that, it's a bunch of teams that have really good runs and then kind of fall apart. There's Arkansas falling apart at the beginning of the season, uh, Ole Miss falling apart at the end of the season, Auburn just completely blowing whole seasons after, you know, having great seasons before that. So there's not a ton of consistency right now. And, again, that's good. That gives us something to talk about. And, Will, at this part of the year, um, we, we kind of focus, as far as SEC football goes, around uh, the spring games. 
and the spring games are kind of inconsistent, and, and, you know, the attendance is, is hit or miss. Um, what's your view it's of the spring games? Do you feel like they are more of a, uh, a waste of time? Yeah, I mean, I think without a doubt. Now, as far as real time, it matters. I mean, but here's the thing. You're just not going to learn anything from these games. Completely scripted. It's all the stuff you've always heard. These coaches are going to take, you know, really special care of their secret plays and, and their best players. You don't get to see hardly anything at all. I, you know, and beyond that, they're just not exciting. What they need to be doing is bringing in some kind of other teams for these teams to be competing against. Again, if it's helping out other teams in the state, so say – Alabama brings in UAB, and Auburn brings in Troy or Jack State. And and you still make it a fun kind of game where you can't, you know, sack the quarterbacks and stuff like that. But at least it's somewhat competitive. Because right now, it's just nothing happening. And Georgia kind of got it right this year by having a big concert. And, you know, Auburn and other schools have done that in the past. Tennessee got it kind of right as far as having a Navy SEAL skydive in and making it a big fan day. Uh, but the only thing these games are good for at this point is giving some of the fans a chance to go and hang out with the team and meet the coaches and see the stadium. These fans that can't go to every game during the season because games are getting really expensive and these games are usually either free or cost $5. And so I do think they're good for that purpose. But let's make it good for everybody. Let's make it somehow good for the media to write about and for the you know avid fans to get involved with. Because at this point, it's just kind of a waste of time. I mean, super, super boring. You learn nothing. Even when you think you learn something, like Alabama's quarterbacks are terrible, look at them in the spring games, then they go on to, you know, hoist a trophy at the end of the year. So you don't learn anything from it at this point. That's got to change. And this year, for some reason, people said, like, they finally realized, like, oh, wait, what are we doing? And, you know, I mean, at Bandy, I don't know if you saw their spring game, but it looks like, and I'm not exaggerating, it looks like there were hundreds of people in the crowd. I mean, just like one little section behind the bench had some folks in there. You know, and that was a Friday night game. That was supposed to be like an exciting thing. So, nah, you, you got to change these up somehow. All right, well, I got one more final question for you. And um, forget you're talking to me right now, okay? But um, how do you see both schools in Mississippi coming out this fall? Uh, you know... Both schools in Mississippi are two schools that are so close constantly. I mean, just a couple of years ago, obviously, Mississippi State, number one in the country week after week, and then kind of falling apart. Ole Miss happens, it seems like, every year. They're really, really good at some point. They've beaten Alabama now two times in a row, and then they kind of fall apart at the end. Granted, that Arkansas loss was complete, you know, craziness. But I... I don't know how, I mean, honestly, I, I just kind of always feel like these are nine, ten, ten win teams that should be better than that. So, I mean, I worry about Mississippi State, and not only, of course, all the problems they've had here in the offseason, but just losing the best player in Mississippi State history. You know, that's, that's tough to replace. Now, the fact that Dan Mullen uh, went out today and ran up the Boston Marathon in four hours and, was it 33 minutes or something? That's, yes. That's impressive. So, if he can do that. Uh, maybe, maybe he can actually put it together today. I'm not kidding about that. That anybody who's runs or has tried to run, uh, I mean, that's just an impressive feat all the way around. So I was, I couldn't believe he he did that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I run back to the kitchen back and forth. But other than that, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was, that was impressive. Uh, Will Lockerbie. I, I run around. I run around uh, off King Ridge 
fans and get autographs for them. Yes. Uh, whenever he and I hang out. We went to, uh, Stinger and I went to the Mississippi State-Alabama game. And, you know, Stingray's, uh, obviously with his rants, he's, he's been on Paul. How many times would you say you've been on that show, Stingray? Uh, probably three. Okay. Well, you've been on more. No, but I mean, like, your, your rants. Oh, oh, on Fine Bomb, probably a lot. Yeah. I mean, like, a couple of dozen. Yes. Um, and I, I've been on Paul's show at this point, let's see, like, coming up on 240 times, I think, like, as far as my appearances go. And so, point is, we were there in this crowd, and everyone was, like, talking about Stingray, and, oh, there's Stingray. And at one point, he got up and left to go uh, to the restroom in Canton. And while he was gone, the whole crowd all around, like, came to me and were like, hey, is that, is that Stingray from Paul Feinbaum? I was like, yeah, it sure is. Nobody said a word. Like, nobody knew who I was at all. Because, again, Stingray, my most famous friend. Well, Will, you're an absolute professional, man. And, and we, don't worry, we're, we're uh, some of your biggest fans. So I uh, hope you can always remember that. Uh, Will Lockman, we should. Absolutely. Hey, we sure do appreciate having you on. I hope we can have you on again in the future. Cool. Anytime, man. Thank you. Man, I tell you what, Will Lockham, he sure knows his stuff, doesn't he? He does, yeah. He uh, definitely definitely a good, good guy to be in sight for Paul Feinbaum's show, and we're really thankful to have him on the Stingray and Tuck show. Uh, kind of going on what he said, talking about the uh, satellite camps, probably some of the most uh, talked about things in college football right now. Honestly, it's probably just smoke in the wind. Once it becomes fall, no one's really going to worry about it at all. This is just kind of a downtime uh, until then. Um, and if you're kind of wondering what a satellite camp is, which I'm, I'm sure some of you are, um, essentially it allows college coaches to travel uh, kind of across the country and be guests, uh, guest hosts at camps for football players, uh, so for guys in high school. So, uh, for instance, uh, James Franklin at Penn State a few years ago uh, went down south in Georgia and hosted a camp um, for high school players to come out to. And now what this does is, if you're a high school player, it gives you exposure to uh, different different coaches. And maybe maybe if you aren't being very highly recruited and you do very good at this camp, now you're being recognized by those schools. And now the NCAA, NCAA has banned those, uh, Stephen. Uh, what do you feel like is going to be the ultimate result for those smaller teams, maybe who wanted wanted uh, some extra players? Well, they can't go out and get the big five-star recruits, like one or two of them per team that they could uh, with the satellite camps. And also, it hurts, uh, you know, the coaches going out there to learn from other coaches, like I don't know, maybe uh, the Southern Miss coach may want to try to go. Uh, understudy uh, with uh, Urban Meyer or Jim Harbaugh. Well, you can no longer do that because of the satellite camp. So it really, really kind of handicaps the smaller uh, non-Power 5 conference schools. Yeah, and it makes the SEC mad because essentially teams from the Big Ten can literally come down in the SEC's backyard and pick players out, right? You know, if you you had someone, uh, say, at your job, uh, say at your job, and let's just say he got all up in your space. You'd probably be a little upset, right? He, he was he was take, taking your money straight from away, away from you. Alabama really dominates this southern portion. Uh, you know, in places of Texas, those big Texas schools can dominate. Well, Ohio State and, and Michigan, Penn State, those those Big Ten teams would be able to come down and get those players and have a better shot at, at getting them overall. 
uh, with the satellite camp. So, um, you know, going forward, the thing is, these guys, they're, they're, not everybody is a five-star recruit. Uh, not everybody's a four-star recruit. There's a ton of three-stars. But there's a lot of players that are under-the-radar players that end up being huge. You know, J.J. Watt, um, I believe, was, was a two-star. Um, some didn't even have him as that. And look at the uh, star he is today. So hopefully, uh, without these camps, we the players can still get exposure some different way. Also, you got to think about it. With YouTube, um, with Instagram, with, with Twitter, there's a lot of different ways to see people that back in the day – uh, did not exist. So you have a lot of different ways to put yourself out on the map now. And another player you were talking about that was a lower seed that uh, turned out to be a pretty darn good player is uh, Dak Prescott. He was a three-star recruit coming out of high school, and uh, LSU really didn't uh, pursue him until late after he had already signed with or uh, had committed to Mississippi State. And... Uh, Dak Prescott now holds 32 different Mississippi State records. So, to be honest with you, those three, four, five-star, you know, those five-star players, you know, those ratings really don't matter. It just depends on what kind of player and integrity that guy has. Yeah, absolutely. And also, even going back to um, even across the state, Ole Miss, I mean, you know, Bo Wallace was not a guy that uh, was just an absolute home run hit. Everybody wants him. Uh, this guy played, I believe it was Scuba, Scuba, Mississippi. He went to that community college. Um, and look at the career he went on to have. So uh, you don't have to be a five-star guy. You don't have to be a four-star guy. If you can just get on a team and show someone what you're made of, uh, that, at the end of the day, that's really all you need to do. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs and also the NBA draft. That and a whole lot more coming up on the other side of the break, you're listening to the Stingray and Tuck Show. Welcome back in to the Stingray and Tuck Show on StingrayandTuckShow.com. Uh, we just got finished talking to Will Lockamy, talking about satellite camps and also different things going on in the SEC and to kind of transition uh, from the SEC talk and along with our special guest, Will Lockamy, uh, we are now going to move into the NBA. Uh, obviously, this past week being a huge week in the NBA with Kobe Bryant uh, playing in his last game and uh, also scoring 60 points in his last game, which uh, is fantastic. If, if you were able to see it live, it was fantastic. And let's not forget, 60 points on 50 shots. Can you imagine taking 50 shots yeah. at 37? My yeah. goodness. <laughs> I would, I'd be very tired. Eventually, you shoot that many times, hopefully it goes in because yes. that, that is a lot. But um, it, it was a very, very surreal moment. Those last, those last uh, 10 minutes of that game uh, was, was insane. I mean, it was like you were watching Kobe Bryant in his prime with the shots he was making. Um, just an absolutely un- unbelievable performance for Kobe, and, and he'll always be remembered um, for that. And also, I have one quick question for you, Landon. Yeah. What do you think the future holds for Kobe? Do you think he joins Shaq and Charles Barkley on the TNT games, uh, post-game uh, show? You know, one thing about Kobe Bryant, he has that Michael Jordan gene to where uh, he says himself, he's a selfish player. Um, he is not a great... Uh, a, a fantastic, you know, buddy, buddy type of guy. Towards the end of his career, he starts doing that because he realizes his talent wasn't there. But he's always been an arrogant kind of guy, just like Michael Jordan. Shaquille O'Neal, on the other hand, has been likable forever. 
Um, and, and he was a perfect fit to go on, on the post-game show. Yes. I don't know if Kobe Bryant goes into general management. I, you know, I don't I don't think he'd go into being a coach. I don't know who would hire him. I, f- I feel like he'd, he'd bully all the rookies uh, who were there. So um, I don't really know. I would love to see him win his insight on a post-game show, though. Would, would you watch it if it was Kobe Shaq, uh, Charles Barkley? Absolutely, because I'm a big fan of Charles Barkley. He says whatever's on his mind, and he doesn't care because he's not a role model. No, no. Um, yeah, I, I like them all. Shaquille O'Neal is just one of my favorite people. I've always wanted to meet him, uh, other than the fact of him being a giant. Uh, he and I have a lot in common, I feel. Um, also, he's very talented at basketball, and I'm not. So, um, <clears throat> But moving out of Kobe Bryant's awesome performance, on the exact same night in this moment of history, the Golden State Warriors broke the 95-96 Chicago Bulls record of 72 wins and got 73, um, which will open a can of, of comparison for the rest of, of their uh, their careers and the rest of NBA's history, um, or rest of NBA's future, rather, um, about which team is better. And now transitioning into the playoffs. Uh, Stephen, go ahead. And real quick, uh, going back to the Golden State history night, uh, Steph Curry also made history himself by shooting 400 three-pointers. Could you imagine taking 400 three-pointers? I'll get it right in a second. Well, yeah, and he made that many. I mean, I don't think I've ever – 400 – I don't know if I've ever shot – and my friend was telling me about this the other day. I don't know if he and I have ever shot 400 three-pointers or made 300 uh, three-pointers in my entire life. Right, so the the fact he did this in one season is incredible, um, and obviously Golden State uh, went out um, and has performed well early. Golden State is currently uh, had had Steph Curry tweak his ankle in the first game uh, versus the Rockets. But if I had to guess, I I, just, I feel like Golden State is ultimately going to end up being the winners of the West. The West is loaded with teams. Memphis is a little bit injury plagued. Dallas has zero guard play. I'm really not sure how they got in the playoffs in the first place. Portland has issues down low, and the Clippers somehow, if, if maybe if Blake Griffin can stop punching people, maybe they can get it going on. Um, but I, I see Golden State running through the West. How about you, Seager? I agree. And uh, last night, uh, you know, Steph Curry was not able to go in the game, like you said, uh, because of that tweaked ankle, and he had to sit out that game. Yeah, and I do see Golden State running through the West. Now, here's here's what's going to be interesting. Over in the East, Cleveland is taking on a pretty good Detroit Pistons team, um, a team that really is just lacking in the in the two and three guard spot. Um, and once they get that fixed, I think they're going to be a great contender because Andre Drummond's a fantastic rebounder. Uh, Reggie Jackson, it looks like they have something there. Um, and then you know you kind of get into the Atlanta Boston series. That's going to be fantastic. That is going to be a game, uh, or a series rather. I think it's going to go seven games. Uh, ultimately, I, I think, I really feel like Boston is a year away from contending. Uh, I think they need one more year. Brad Stevens is a fantastic coach, but the Atlanta Hawks, I believe, are going to win that series overall. And the Atlanta Hawks play tonight on TNT. Just a quick little programming note, and the Cavs will play Game 2 versus the Pistons tomorrow night on TNT. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, in the Miami-Charlotte series, 
again, I think Charlotte's another one of those teams that could be one year away. Kimball Walker's done great, has really, really led them. Nicholas Batum's done great on, on the wing position. Um, Al Jefferson's a guy that's kind of been plagued by injuries, but once he's back for good, um, I think they're, an, they're another team that's a year away. But Miami has too much depth, too much coaching, uh, has a great owner, great general manager. Um, Miami could go all the way um, to the Eastern Conference Finals versus Cleveland. Ultimately, I think it's going to end up being Cleveland and Golden State in the finals, a rematch of last year. And and now, Stephen, this is this is going to be a series where if everybody's completely healthy, now they can't say, well, Kevin Love was injured, well, Kyrie Irving was injured, everyone's healthy, it's going to be great. Matter of fact, Golden State might be the one who's down a superstar if Steph Curry does not get better. Yes, I completely agree. Um, Steph Curry was unbelievable last year. He has been all this year. But now with that, with that ankle injury, what becomes of Steph Curry and the Warriors is going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to ask, Stephen, because who knows? Some people might debate this. Some people might not. Who is your MVP for the season? Mm, probably Steph Curry. Yeah, I, uh, I'd say so. I mean, you know, LeBron, uh, LeBron is, is his typical, <laughs> typical high-scoring, great assist dishing and also the rebounding. Steph Curry has is, is just been insane. I mean, his percentage from the three-point line uh, is incredible. Um, he's also averaging over 90% from the free-throw line. He, he's an absolutely great scorer. Um, a guy like Damian Lillard is a guy who also could be a few years away. He might just be in an era that's very unfortunate because he's got Steph Curry and LeBron around. Yes, and uh, one more stat on that. 400 made three-pointers in a season, how can you not call that individual the MVP? Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, and he's got – I mean, he's obviously the best scorer in the game, the best best shooter in the game. Clay Thompson might be the second best shooter in the game. I mean, the, the, the Warriors are just so stacked that how do you beat a team like that? Well, maybe if they put, uh, if they put LeBron on him, you know, you never know. Maybe that might shut him down. Um, but – and obviously, with, with last night, the Raptors uh, take, take down the Pacers, and the series is now tied up 1-1. That's a series that could be great. And here's why. Because Indiana's a seven seed, right? A seven seed typically is not going to run the table and, and, and sweep uh, a two seed, right? But Toronto matches up very, very badly against the Pacers. The Pacers are an excellent, excellent fit in position to beat Toronto. Um, they have the guard play, and obviously they have one of the best players in basketball, Paul George, at the three. That's a position where the Toronto Raptors do not have a superstar. Their superstars are DeMar DeRozan and Kyle, Kyle Lowry, who's point guard and shooting guard, respectively. And also we need to talk about real quick, the defensive player of the year was named... Kawhi Leonard for the second year in a row. Um, <clears throat> I saw, saw a tweet today from Draymond Green who said, last year Kyrie Irving only played in 60 games and beat me. And he didn't. He, obviously he did not think that Kyrie Irving deserved the Defensive Player of the Year award last year. He's, then he went on to say that this year he did deserve it. He played a lot more games, uh, was a lot less injury uh, played. There's a clip going around right now of Lance Stevenson from the Grizzlies trying to get open, little, literally trying to get open to catch a ball, not, not to shoot it, just to catch it, to have possession, and uh, – Kawhi Leonard is completely in front of him, blocking the way. Um, it's incredible. He's a great defensive player. I mean, that's just what the Spurs are. 
The Spurs are another team over in the West that once it finally, Golden State and the Spurs will meet up in that Western Conference Final, and that is going to be fantastic. And that one could easily go up to seven games. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, people forget about Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, um, and I don't know why. I feel like Oklahoma City is a team that is in the wrong, is another one of those wrong era teams. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, take, take this Golden State, or pardon me, take this Oklahoma City team, and let's place them back, say, eight years ago, seven or eight years ago. Um, and to where you're, you're in a spot where 2008, maybe the, you know, the Cavs are not fantastic, it's just LeBron, that's a team that, that should be winning. Um, and it really should be dominating with the scoring they have, and they also have some down-low presence. Um, they have the defense of Ibaka. Uh, they have a lot of different tools, in, including a really good bench too. But it just so happens that they're in an area with the Spurs that have just been so good for, dec- I mean, well over a decade now. And also Golden State, who's going to be great, uh, for years to come. That's very unfortunate for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I completely agree. Do you want to transition now into the NFL? Absolutely. Of course, the Tennessee Titans owned the number one pick in the draft. Uh, they, were, they were first overall. They were on the clock, uh, ready to pick. And then the Los Angeles, now Los Angeles Rams, went ahead and traded the entire farm away. And let me just give you a kind of a, a little quick rundown. The Tennessee Titans have nine, count them up, nine selections in the 2016 draft, and six of the nine are in the top 76. Um, so you cannot butcher this if you're Tennessee. This is, this is a great move for you, um, and, and you know, no question about that. This could be a franchise-changing draft for them. Yeah, absolutely. You, you are able to get, add some really good quality picks um, and who knows? Around the nucleus of Marcus Mariota. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could go out and you could sign an offensive tackle uh, for Marcus Mariota in free agency. You have some cap space to do that. But here's the main question, Stephen. <clears throat> if you are the Los Angeles Rams, did you really trade away all these picks for, for who? Because it'd be one thing if you're trading away all these picks and Andrew Luck is going to be the first pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if someone who is just a a dynamite star is right there. But the question in my mind is, who's who's a home run hit at this point? Who do you think they're going to take? I actually think they're going to take a shot and go with a Pac-12 guy from California and go Jared Goff because that guy, I mean, that guy can literally throw the rock. Yeah, and you know, he did not translate to a lot of wins. He didn't have a lot of talent around him. But uh, he looks like the guy that I would say pick. I don't think you, you trade up to take a guy from North Dakota State. No offense, but, I mean, they are in a lower-tier division than California, Alabama, you know, those teams. Yeah, yeah, they're not a Division One team. They're, they're you know, Division Two, and, and I don't want to get myself caught up in that too much because Joe Flacco is a guy who played at Delaware. Yes. And he ended up, obviously, great. Uh, Aaron Rodgers played at community college before he went to uh, California. So – uh, you know, we shouldn't always get caught up in the in Division Two, but it's just so hard when a team has been so dominant um, and won five straight national titles, and then they throw in this quarterback, and now he's won national titles. I mean, there was already national titles being won before he even touched the football in the starting starting field. You know, could they potentially pick Vernon Hargraves because he is a lockdown corner, and you know, defense wins championships even in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, I, I would. I just see them taking taking quarterback because even with and Vernon Hargrave is going to be a great pro, I think. 
Um, you know, his size is a little bit small, but he's going to be—he's a great hitter. He can absolutely intercept the ball. Um, but I just see him taking them taking a the quarterback. They have to generate some offense. They already have a pretty good running back. Um, you know, you have some—you have some pieces at the wide receiver position. You can definitely upgrade, but you have something. Um, but but you got to have a quarterback. And so that's one thing they're lacking, and that ultimately is who I think they're going to take this draft. Um, I just don't think you move up that much and give away that much just to gamble on a guy. I mean, I think they're going to go with the quarterback. I think they know who they're going to pick. I think they're kind of being coy and saying that they don't know who they're going to take. I think they already do. And let's real quick give the fans the date for the NFL draft. Yeah, and, and the NFL draft is on April 28th at 8 p.m. It's going to be on Thursday night. Uh, it's going to be huge. That's remember the first uh, first entire round is going to be there. I think we're going to see a ton of SEC picks go. I mean, I, you know, Ole Miss has at least three um, has at least three that's going to go in the first round. Alabama, I think I counted four should be a lock. Um, you know, Florida Florida might have two. Um, Mississippi State is possible to to grab one. Um, I believe my surprise pick is going to be Chris Jones late in the first round. Could be, yeah. He could be a late first round guy. I know a lot of people are mocking him to be a uh, late first round, um, but uh, possibly early second round. Uh, obviously, so you have the, the, the three stars from Ole Miss who probably all three go in the first top 15 to, to 20. Um, they'll all be gone. Alabama could even have five total picks in the first round, which is um, I mean, pretty insane. Where do you think Jake Coker goes? <laughs> or is he even in it? Uh, I... I Jake Coker, I don't even think is probably going to get drafted. Unfortunately, I, I think uh, he's more of an undrafted free agent. Yes. He could come in and prove himself, maybe come in and be a backup somewhere. I don't think he is going to be a full starting quarterback in the NFL, though. Could be wrong. Yes, but we do have to remember he does have a national title in his back pocket. He does, true. So if he does not succeed in the NFL, he can always say, "Hey, I won a national championship," and he's got that on me and you, I guess. <laughs> yes, that's correct. All right, well, we're going to take our final break of the show, and when we come back, we are going to discuss the age-old question here in here in Tuscaloosa: which is the better coach, Nick Saban or Paul Bear Bryant? That's on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Stingray and Tuck Show. Hey, MSU fans and alumni, this is Landon from the Stingray and Tuck Show. Look, are you interested in some awesome cowbell embroidered polos and t-shirts? What about ball caps and unique cowbell clothing items such as belts, bags? Hey, what about even pet accessories? All you have to do is go to cowbellclothing.com and use the special code SR20 at checkout to receive 20% off of your order. And here's the good news. That offer will run through April 15th through the 17th, Super Bulldog Weekend. Welcome back inside the final segment of the Stingray and Tuck Show. We thank you for staying on with us this long. And now we get into a really, really juicy discussion here in Tuscaloosa. And the reason I wanted to bring this up was because Bobby Bowden, the former uh, Florida State coach, said that Nick Saban is not yet the best coach in all of college football and the question I have for you, Landon, is who is better, Bear Bryant or Nick Saban? I'll let you start, and I'll give my explanation. Yeah, you know, I think this is a very interesting topic. And also, make sure you tweet us uh, tweet us your answer to this, um, and also why. And also, um, go to, go to SingerAndTuckShow.com 
and also put in your answer there. We will definitely uh, reply to those. Um, <clears throat> so there is there's a few different things to discuss here. Okay, obviously there's there's different errors that separate these two. Okay, um, Paul Bryant did his thing, won six national titles uh, during a time where there was not uh, as many as much television exposure. There was not as much money flowing around. Um, so some people say Nick Saban has it easier because he's got, hey, look, we have these giant buildings and we have we have this huge stadium and, and this is stuff that Paul Bear Bryant basically built, right? Well, here's what I would argue is Paul Bryant did some great things, but I think it is even harder now to recruit than it was then and only because there's so much other competition now. Um, obviously, there's competition then too, um, and, and he was able to start the national championships that Nick Saban can bring up now. But you got to realize, Tennessee and Neyland Stadium has 110,000 people it can fill. Uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium has, has upwards of 88,000 people they can put in its, its stands. You know, stadiums are everywhere. Money is flowing like never before because of all the television. So now everybody can be relevant. Um, and so I think it is much harder to recruit now than it was then. I, I think it's harder to win now than it was then because obviously – um, a quarterback now is not the same size as a quarterback then. A running back now, Derrick Henry didn't exist back in the '60s and '70s. I, it, he was he was way too big. Derrick Henry would have absolutely he would have demolished defenses. I mean, he was already dominant in this era of college football. Imagine him then. So I would say that Nick Saban had to face much tougher athletes, um, much you know much tougher competition. He had to persuade people to come to his school a lot more. Because the second that Paul Bryant won one or two or three national titles, well, that's kind of what you have to brag about because other people weren't doing that consistently. So uh, other than Oklahoma, obviously, went on a great run during the early 50s, but um, you know, that kind of goes out the window. So I would say Nick Saban. I think a lot of people nowadays would tell you Nick Saban. Uh, the people I've spoken to have kind of brought up that same point. Paul Bear Bryant started it. They love him, appreciate him. He, fa he is fantastic. There'd be none of this without him. But – Nick Saban has taken this program to a whole new level in this era. Well, I agree with what you say, but I don't think you can compare them. I really don't because, like you were saying, two totally different eras and the rules are, have changed dramatically. I mean, you know, the whole deal with Bryant taking Texas A&M to Junction, Texas and all that. Now, I know that some of that stuff for the movie and all that stuff was over-dramatized. But you could not get away with that today. And the way he would be able to treat players and all that, that, that just would not fly today. And I also look at this. Would Bear Bryant be able to stop a spread offense like we have today? I just I really don't think you can compare those two because they were in totally different eras and they also um, – you know, a lot of things have changed since then. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that if you're an Alabama fan, you can brag about is, hey, we had both of these coaches. A lot of players and a lot of teams can't say that. So um, Alabama definitely has something to hang its hat on. They're both fantastic. They're both some of the greatest coaches we'll ever see. I think Nick Saban, you know, Nick Saban is in his early 60s. He has a shot. He has a, sh a real shot here. If he can keep doing this for the next decade, the next 10 years, and if he wins three or four more titles, I don't think there's any question that he's probably one, probably the best coach that has ever coached in college football. 
I completely agree. All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Stingray and Tuck Show. We really appreciate you following and listening this far, and uh, we're going to be down in Hattiesburg this weekend. We are, yeah. We're going to be covered, uh, covering uh, Southern Miss Spring Game as a part of the media crew, so if you are down in Hattiesburg, uh, shoot us a tweet uh, or an email at admin at stingrayandtuckshow.com. Um, like I said, choose a tweet or give us a message on Facebook to meet up. Uh, we, we'd love to uh, love, love to meet and talk. We're really excited for this weekend. and um, yeah, We're going to have the some of the media stuff from uh, the coach down there at Southern Miss and the players here on the show next week. Plus, we're going to have our very own uh, Pac-12 correspondent come on to talk about the West Coast stuff and an NBA correspondent to talk more NBA playoffs. So, make sure... Landon, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, make make sure you check that out. Also, make sure you're checking out StingrayandTuckShow.com uh, for the latest articles on different topics that are going on. We also have different polls that we take on Twitter. Um, so make sure you get on social media, interact with, interact with us. We have some really, really great, uh, really great stuff for you to look at. So, um, Stingray, do you have anything else? I don't believe I have anything else. That's going to do it for this edition of the Stingray and Tuck Show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and enjoy your college football and NBA playoffs. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.